Hey, I want to uh, share something with all of you who are at Lake Elsinore, also everyone who's watching online. We love digging into Scripture. And one of the goals is, is every time we get together to study, to look at a lot of Scripture. So I want to encourage you to grab the note sheet, to turn to the passage. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, be there. And then look ahead so you can turn ahead of time to get to the next passage of Scripture we want to dig into. And I think it'll make our time together way more meaningful. And I think you'll grab an incredible amount of depth from what we're about to dig into. Let's pray together. Father, I love your word. I love, God, that you have given it to us. I love, God, that we get to treasure it. I love that it changes our life. Father, I love that it truly is active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. And, God, that as it shines into my heart and life and all of our hearts and lives, it helps us to understand who we are, who we can be, and, God, the kind of love and life you have for us. So may our faith grow today as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of our dreams and desires that we really are a people who are not only people who get into God's word, but we have God's word in us. In other words, we're doers of the word. We're people who listen and then live by the word of God that we hear. I remember hearing about a young pastor who was so excited about life and he had taken a small church and, and he wanted to teach the word of God and he was so committed to it. And, and what he decided to do was to actually go out and visit every single member of his church. And he walked up to the house of a young college girl and she happened to live there with her grandmother. Her grandmother wasn't there. And he walked up and he was pretty sure he spotted her crossing in the living room. And he knocked on the door and there was no answer. He knocked again and there was no answer. And so he kind of had a cool idea. He, he wrote on a piece of paper a note and he put it in the doorway and he walked away. She had been looking out the window the whole time and she went over and opened the door and she looked at it and the only words written on the note were this, Revelation 3.20. She ran and grabbed her Bible and opened it up and it says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. And she thought, well, that's pretty funny. And so she thought that was pretty cool. The next Sunday, the pastor's standing at church and she slips up by him and she hands him a note and he opens it up and it's Genesis 3.10. That's all it says, Genesis 3.10. Well, he couldn't make, remember what it was. So he ran and got his Bible and opened it up. And Genesis 3.10 says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. <laughs> so... That guy thought, man, you know what? I love this girl. I mean, she just seems like the girl for me. I mean, she loves God's word and she's fun. So he asked her out and they started dating. And they had been dating probably, probably for maybe a month, month and a half. And she said, you know, I, I want to have a talk. And he said, what is it? And she said, well, I, I just, I don't know how to say this, but do, I mean, are we friends or do you like me or or what? Because I got to be honest, I really like you. And he looked at her and said, well, no, I, I really like you. And she goes, well, I don't want to be pushy and I don't want to rush things. But man, we've been dating almost two months now and you've not kissed me once. And he looked at her and he said, well, you know, I, I feel like our relationship started centered in the word of God. And I felt like everything we need to do needs to come from the word of God. And, and I can't find anywhere in scripture that says we can kiss. Well, a couple of days later, she runs up to him all excited and shows him the book of Romans chapter 16. He said, look, look, greet one another with a holy kiss. And he said, no, that really doesn't fit. And if you understand the context, it's not the same thing. And, and he goes, it's just that one doesn't work. 
Well, they dated for another month, month and a half. And one night he was walking her to the door. They'd had an amazing time together. And just as they get to the doorway, she turns around. She throws her arms around him. She kisses him and kisses him and kisses him. And then she steps back and he looks at her and he's like, whoa, wow, that was incredible. But what, what passage of scripture do you have for that? And she said, Luke 631, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. <laughs> I love that one. Well, anyway, Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus is giving us the most amazing words we could ever think about. The Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talked about the kind of attitudes that, that ought to pervade our life and our heart. And then he goes from that to the idea that if those attitudes are in us and those attitudes are coming out from us, then we ought to shine as lights and we ought to be salt in the earth. And then Jesus calls for something we can't miss. It's the very marching orders of everybody who would ever seek to follow him. And in Matthew 5, 17, he says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of the heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus right away wants to make sure you and I grab something. And by the way, I want to say, you need to understand how important it is that we do not miss the truths that come flying out of here. Because I want to tell you that I, I've noticed over and over again, somehow we've missed it. And I think you're going to see a lot of things that you believe or might know of other people who believe that as we study this in depth, it's going to show that what those beliefs are, are not accurate to what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. The first thing we need to understand is Jesus said this, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. Very often you and I need to go to law school. And we need to study the law. Now, what's the law? The law is the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, and according to the teachings of the rabbis and what Jesus was pointing out, the prophets is everything that follows that all the way to Malachi. And Jesus is saying, I did not come. I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now, here's what you need to understand. Jesus is saying you and I need to treasure God's word and we need to follow God's word. Now, we're going to get into the complexity of what that means because there is some complexity here, some levels we need to grab hold of. But the most important thing we start with is what Jesus started with. We are not to be anybody who teaches people to throw this out, to disregard it, to not follow it. It's to be treasured and it's to be followed. Jesus is directly, Jesus is directly referring to the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. Very often I bump into people and they'll say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish it. Now, you and I need to understand. He says, don't go around saying you're not to follow it. Again, we're going to understand exactly what he means in a minute. But you and I need to know that directly he's referring to the Old Testament. Indirectly, we're going to see other passages that refer to all of the Bible, including the new. But catch this. When we study God's word correctly... When we dig in correctly, two things ought to happen. Now, I want you to grab this. You've got to lock this in your mind before we dig into the other truths that come from here. But when we study God's word and the teachings of Jesus and what Jesus is saying about the law and the prophets and all of his teachings and the New Testament teachings, we ought to find, number one, an amazing freedom in our life. 
In John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32, Jesus said this. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, now, when God's word is taken and used in a way that binds people, that puts people in bondage, that keeps them from being free, that keeps them from being everything God meant for them to be and to live life to the fullest, well, then we know for sure we're somehow misunderstanding and maybe abusing the very word that was given to us from God. Because when it comes, it ought to give us an amazing freedom. Now, the, the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to, he said, I'm not coming to abolish the law and the prophets. But he is about to tell them, you guys have got it wrong. You've got it wrong. As a matter of fact, he's later on would tell Nicodemus, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you find life, but they point to me. In other words, life is found, and the scriptures point to life found in Jesus. And it's a life that brings us an amazing freedom. And all sorts of people have taken this, and they've used it to club people over the head, to put them into bondage. And when we understand scripture correctly, it actually frees us. It doesn't put us in bondage. I don't know if you heard about the college student that was considering becoming a Christian. He got an appointment with the pastor and he went and met with him. And he said, you know, I'm really thinking about being a Christian. What would the Christian life be like for me? And the pastor got up and went over to a file cabinet and opened it up and pulled out a sheet of paper and walked back and handed it to the man. And he said to the student, he said, this is what you need to understand. This is what you can do. And this is what you can't do if you want to be a Christian. And he looked at it. And when he got to the can't section, he thought, Whoa, those are the very things that are kind of the goals of my life, you know. And what's wild is that young guy ended up becoming a Christian. And he found out that almost nothing on that list was from God. It was all rules of men and traditions of men. And we've got to understand that we've got to take God's word and not add to it and not take away from it. But here, what else we can't miss is when we understand it correctly, it sets us free. In Galatians, it says Christ Jesus came for freedom. Therefore, do not let anybody rob you of your freedom. God's great desire is that. The second thing that happens when we study scripture correctly is we not only get freedom, we get joy. In Nehemiah chapter 8, Verses 9 to 12, Nehemiah and Ezra, the prophet and priest, gathered all the people together. And they actually had them read the word of God, read the law to them. And it says the people stood. And from the, every youngest to the oldest, they, the word of God was read and the word of God was read. And it says the Levites gave them the meaning of it. Listen to what it says here. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people. Now, don't miss this. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, no, go and eat of the fat and drink of the sweet and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went away and began to eat and to drink and to send portions and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words that had been made known to them. Now, now we understand Jesus from ever said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. When we understand God's word and we enter in the presence of a holy God, we might at first mourn over our sin. 
mourn over the worthlessness of our life very often or the wastedness of it or the pain we've inflicted or pain we've endured. But God's comfort is to immediately rush in. And when God's word is understood, what happens is joy ought to happen. The mourning ought to lead to comfort, which leads to celebration. And that's what the Levites were saying. That's what Ezra is saying. That's what Nehemiah was saying. He said, no, no, no. If you understand God's law, you're going to understand you're loved. You're going to understand you have an amazing life to live. You're going to understand what grace is that that wipes away your sins and God's love that calls you to him unconditionally. And it says that when we begin to understand it, it ought to create a joy, a celebration in our life. And it says in Nehemiah 8, remember verse 12, because they understood the words that had been made known to them, they began to celebrate. So when we understand God's word correctly, we have freedom and we have joy and we can't miss that. Jeremiah 15 verse 16 talks about how incredible God's word is. And it says this, your words were found and I ate them and your words became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. And so when we understand God's word and we dig into God's word, it ought to become an amazing joy and a delight of our heart. I've, uh, I've been with the Lord a long time now. And I want to tell you, the more I study God's word, the more I crave it. The more I desire to be in it, the more of a joy and a delight it is to me. And and I hope that everybody here who's a part of this church family, that if you're not at that point, you get there. That you love digging in. You love studying. You love the freedom it brings. You love the joy it brings. And and it begins to feed you to the depths of who you are. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish this law. Why? Because this law brings freedom. And this law brings, it, it brings joy. And my word is what's come to set you free. And when you know it, it's going to make you free. And so Jesus said, the last thing I do is come to abolish any of it. And none of us want to do that. The next thing Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, he said, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Now, you you've got to think this through with me. Notice what he says here. He says, until heaven and earth passes away. Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. I want you to think about the amazing truths that we need to lock in our minds that come from that one phrase. The first thing is this. God provided his word to us down to the smallest stroke and the smallest letter. One version calls it the jot and the tittle. It's the idea of even the rough breathing marks that are put within the Hebrew and the Greek. We're literally put there by God. God gave us his word and he gave us his word in such a way that we get it down to the smallest part of it, to the jot, to the tittle, to the very, very uh, uh, smallest letter and stroke that can be made. Every part of that is a gift from God to you and I, and every part is to be treasured. This book is not a book written by men. This is literally the word of God given to you and I, provided to you and I, so you and I would have it to be treasured and read and stored in our hearts and our minds. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, it says, So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. But know this first. Notice this. Know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
In other words, God said, I didn't have a bunch of men get together and write their ideas and opinion. I literally moved them to write it down to the smallest stroke, down to the the jot, down to the tittle. I actually provided this word to you so that every part of it is to be treasured and studied so you might understand him, our father. You might understand you. You might understand life. You might understand everything that matters in life. And God said, I want you to know this just didn't come about by an act of human will. It's not a book written by men. And when we study it, we find out how amazing it is. Think about this. This book was written over 1600 years of time on three continents in three different languages by people from all socioeconomic and educational backgrounds living in different cultures. And yet whenever somebody takes the time. To read God's word, they find an amazing consistency from Genesis to Revelation. They find one thought, one voice. They find one consistent teaching that flows throughout those 1600 years of time and are active and alive and meaningful in our day. Why? Because it's a book that was provided to us from God. The second thing you've got to understand is that God inspired this book. It says in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. Paul is saying here that all scripture is inspired by God and every single bit of this is useful. Every single bit of what you're going to study and read can make a difference in your life. Every bit that's in here could be something that you need in a moment of time. And a wise person would dig in and study a book that's literally given to them by God. In it, we find the mind of God. In it, we find the heart of God. In it, we find everything that matters in life, according to what we read in here. And God says, I want you to know that everything that's in here. Everything that's in here is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. In other words, this is our owner manual of life. And a wise person's going to go and going to study and going to dig in. And God wants us to understand that. God not only provided his word, Jesus tells us he's protecting his word. He said, I want you to know that until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest stroke of this will pass away. God did not only take the time to give us his word, he guarded it. He made sure that we have it today in a way that's reliable to the original uh, inspired moment when the writers wrote. He said, I want you to know I protected it for you. And so the number of manuscripts around the world that are constantly being found attest to the fact that what you and I have in our hands is what God initially gave to those who were the writers. In other words, don't miss this. There are thousands of manuscripts that have been scattered all throughout the world. And when each one has been discovered and each one has been translated, what we find is a reliability that what you have here, you can trust is what God wanted you to have. Why? Because God provided it for us and God protected it for us. And you and I need to understand it's a privilege. We have it and we ought to want to dig into it and study it and not miss one part of it ever in our life. Jesus goes on to say this in Matthew 5, 19. Whoever then, because God's word was given by him, because it's protected by him, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, one of the other truths that come flying out of here that we cannot miss and we need to lock in our minds is that there actually are lesser and greater commandments. Now, I want you to think about that. Jesus said it right there. Whoever annuls one of the least of these commandments, there are lesser and there are greater commandments. Now, why is that important? Because what you need to understand is that not all sin is the same. Now, I want you to miss that. Jesus is saying that to us here. Not all sin is the same. In 1 John 5, 16 and 17, John is telling us this very same thing. When John says this, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will forgive him, uh, will give life to those who commit a sin not leading to death. But there is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin, but there is a sin not leading to death. There's a mortal sin and an immortal sin. There are greater commandments and there are lesser commandments. Recently, I got my hands on the English Standard Version Study Bible. By the way, I'm loving digging into that. And if you're thinking about a new Bible, it's one you might want to check out. The ESV Study Bible. But in the footnote on this passage, the ESV says this. It says, the rabbis recognize the light commandments, such as tithing garden herbs, and the weighty commandments, such as idolatry and murder. Now think about that. You see, even when I was, uh, uh, before I was a Christian and I would hear people go, well, all sin's the same, I would think that's crazy. I mean, someone, you know, speeds and goes 57 miles an hour in a 55, that's the same thing as if someone molests a child. I mean, is that what God is really saying to us? And the answer is no, he's not. God says there is a difference in sin and God sees the difference in sin. And there are weightier sins. And so what God is getting at here and what Jesus is telling us is we can't miss that. And and what I want you to understand is that one of the greatest sins ever committed by man is idolatry. Putting anything in the place of God. Putting anything that we would worship equal to or in God's place. And, And it's a sin that's committed all the time. It's one of the gravest sins of all. If you have anything in your life that comes ahead of your love for God and your relationship with him. If you find yourself having your life determined or focused or the authoritarian part of your life, whatever moves you is what I'm getting at, is something other than a love for God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Well, you're committing the sin of idolatry. And God says that's one of the gravest of all sins. Murder's a grave, a grave sin. Obviously, you know, sexual immorality, all those things. And God sees the difference in it. And then Jesus gets to this. It doesn't matter if it's a lesser command or a greater command. Anybody who teaches anyone to break even the least of these will actually suffer penalty. They'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we're not allowed then, according to what Jesus says, to pick and choose what we're going to obey. We can't go, oh, well, I'll obey that one and I'm not going to obey that one. And I'm going to Jesus is saying here that we need to be all in on obedience. We can't pick and choose what we want to obey or what we don't want to obey. We have to obey every single thing that was given to us by God. We need to have a heart's desire to do that. Now, the amazing thing about it is that it comes down to two things. One, if we will love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and then we'll love others as ourselves, then Jesus said, in the end, you'll obey all the commandments that there are. 
If we would love God with passion, with purpose, with priority, if we would love other people in ways that are caring and and selfless, then God says, you know what? You're not going to have to worry about all the things written in here. That doesn't mean we shouldn't study. It doesn't mean we shouldn't dig in. But the idea that we need to get at is we're not allowed to pick and choose. There's a danger today, though, of people doing that. I've had people tell me, well, you know, that's Old Testament. I'm like, okay, I don't think you understand what you're saying. And and we're going to get into that in a second. I've had other people say, well, I know the Bible says this, but I think. Well, if you go by the God of I think, then that's your God. Your own thought process, your mind. And there's a danger to that because you can be very wrong. As a matter of fact, the reason I don't ever want to go by the God of I think is because I know how often I have been wrong. And there are all sorts of people who are acting like, well, okay, I know the Bible says this, but other churches do this. Well, we're not supposed to go by what other churches do. We're not supposed to go by the traditions of men. We're not supposed to go by family traditions. We're only supposed to go by what's written in here. And if you do, you'll never veer from a life that has meaning and freedom and joy. You'll always know amazing, unconditional love. But you need to understand, Jesus is saying, it's even those lesser commands you and I cannot run from. Why? Because 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is profitable for reproof and for correction and for training and for teaching. And we can't miss any of it. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the joint and the spirit of both joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When you and I, in a very honest way, in a way that has integrity to it, study God's word and approach God's word and let it be, as James says, a mirror that shows us who we really are. It helps us to discern the thoughts and the intentions of our heart so that we can seek forgiveness when it's needed and cleansing when it's needed. But even more, we can seek reproof so we might be trained in the ways of righteousness. The word of God is active and alive and it's always moving and always ready to do amazing things in our hearts and life. There's power to God's word. Psalm 19, verse 7 says this. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. God's word is powerful. It's for conversion. It's for training. It's for joy. It's for freedom. It's for us to be the people we need to be. It's times a warning for us. But in the end, there's great reward in keeping every single commandment from the least to the greatest. Every letter needs to be something that we treasure. And every thought and principle should guide our life. Now, back to the thing I've referred to over and over then does that mean that we have to keep the Old Testament to the letter? Laws such as circumcision, such as dietary restriction, such as certain kinds of dress. Are we bound to those things? And, and, and the question is, are we to understand that, that we're to be every part of it? And, and the answer to that, by the way, is no. What we're bound to is not the letter of the law, but the principle of the law. 
That's what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 2 to 6, where he says to the Corinthians, you, the Corinthian church, those who follow Christ, you are our letter written in hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone. That's the Old Testament law, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of the human heart. And such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Now there is a new covenant and an old covenant. What's the new covenant? Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, now, are we to study the Old Testament? Yes. Are we to treasure the Old Testament? Yes. But we need to understand something. Whenever we study, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, we always need to do it asking three questions. Number one, who is God speaking to? So whenever you study God's word, you want to ask that question. Who is God speaking to? The second question, what is he saying to them? And the third, what does he mean to me? Let me say that again because it's so important. Whenever I read scripture, whether it's Nehemiah or Genesis or, or the Corinthian letter or Matthew, I need to ask, who is God talking to? Who's being addressed? What is he saying to them? And what does it mean to me? If you skip that too quickly, if you read and go, oh, well, I guess that means this to me. You might miss the whole correct interpretation and you may handle the word of God inaccurately. Now, when we get to the Old Testament, we have to understand that God, for, for a period of time, from, from Adam all the way to Moses, had dealt you know, and, and, and loved with them and cared with them in a covenant of faith. And then God brought the law at the time of Moses so that people might be guided by the law, tutored by the law, so they might one day come to Christ. And part of the purpose of the law was to cause the Jewish people to be a very special people to God. The dietary restrictions, circumcision, Sabbath, those kinds of things were meant to keep them separate from all other peoples and protect the line of Christ until Jesus would come. And then when Jesus came, he fulfilled that section of the law. But what we don't do is throw it out. What we do is we look for the principles that were guiding behind it. So we look for the very heart and mind of God. And so by looking at not the letter, but the principles, we begin to understand things. So, for instance, uh, when you're studying the Sermon on the Mount, notice how Jesus termed this. In Matthew 5, verse 21, he said, You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. The Old Testament law says you shall not murder. And he says, Whoever commit murder shall be liable to the courts. But verse 22 says, But I say to you, that whoever's angry with this brother. Now, we'll get to this more later, but don't miss what Jesus is saying. When you understand the Old Testament law, it says don't murder. But I'm telling you, don't even do it in your mind. Later on, Jesus would say, the Old Testament law says don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you not even to lust for someone in your mind. The the Old Testament law says don't make false vows. He says, I'm telling you to have such integrity that your yes is yes and no is no, and you don't even have to vow. You live by a higher calling. In other words, what Jesus began to point us to is the principle that underlies this amazing, amazing gift from God to us. And when we treasure it and live by it, it brings an amazing joy. In Leviticus 19, 19, it says, you are to keep my statutes. And then it goes on to say this. You shall not breed together two kinds of cattle. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor wear a garment. 
uh, upon you that has two kinds of material mixed together. Now, when you study that, you go, well, wait a minute, what's going on? Well, again, he asked the question, what is God saying to them? Who was he talking to? He was talking to the Jewish people when they came into the promised land and he began to tell them something. I want you to have a purity that makes you stand out. I want you, because you're an agricultural people, that the way you treat your animals is for respect and love. And you don't do an interbreeding that would actually weaken them. He says, I want your fields to be sown in such a way that the rows are straight and there's a differentiation between what is planted there. And so whenever anybody would become from another country and enter into Israel, the fields themselves would look different. There would be a purity to the way they approached work. And then he says, I want you to have a purity in dress. Now, by the way, when we begin to understand what he's saying to them, now we ask, what does it mean to me? What God is saying to you and I is I want you to treat your work in such a way that it's with kindness and with care. I want you to do it with a purity to how you work. And I want you to dress with purity. And, and as we begin to study, we begin to see these things. By the way, in 1 Corinthians 10 verses 31, it says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God was saying in your work and the way you handle what you use for work in the way you dress. He said, I want you to do it to my glory. That's what Leviticus 19, 19 is talking about. And when we study God's laws. We begin to see that. Now, some of you might be asking this question, not many of you, but some. Well, what about circumcision then? Why don't we practice that? Well, because God was teaching not a circumcision of the flesh, but of the heart. And as we study, we begin to see that being outwardly circumcised means nothing if we're not circumcised inside our heart to love God with everything we have. Some might say, well, what about a dietary law? Well, the dietary laws, you know, were used to keep the Jewish people within a, a, a certain mindset so that they would not intermingle with others and they would always be seen by others. But later on, what happened in the book of Acts is God told Peter, arise and eat of whatever you see before you. And what God has called holy, you shall call holy too. And God began to say to Peter, now that's done and that day is done and you're free to go and partake of any kind of food as long as it's not unhealthy for you. Some might say, well, what about the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath is a beautiful thing if we choose to use it. But Jesus had always said that the Sabbath was not made for man, or the man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. In other words, the Sabbath was a gift from God to create rest in our life, not bondage in our life. If we choose to worship God with it, we'll be blessed. If we choose not to, because we want to celebrate every single day as from the Lord, well, then we're going to be fine also. The key is to understand that God gets the priority of our life and we set aside quality, quality time to be with him. We must understand the meaning. We must understand the principles and we must cling to them. And again, in it, we see and we hear the heart of God. It's interesting to me that when Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and was given the Ten Commandments, that's not why he was there 40 days and 40 nights. He got the Ten Commandments right away. But during the 40 days and 40 nights, God taught the design of the tabernacle and the method of worship within the tabernacle. So when Moses came back, he could show the people how God wants to be worshipped. And when you and I take the time to study the tabernacle in Exodus and, and Numbers and Leviticus, then what we begin to see is this is the kind of worship God treasures. There's a danger even today of us going around saying, well, this is what real worship is. But what we mean is this is what I like. Have you ever wondered what God likes? 
You ever thought what, what touches the heart of God, what he, he thinks is meaningful? And when you study it, by the way, you might be a little surprised what God values. And, and, and that's why we study every bit of God's word. So like in Exodus 24, verse 18, we see that it was literally designed by God. And we can begin to look at that. Jesus said something else, though. He said, our righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Our righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The, the scribes and Pharisees were actually incredible in obeying God outwardly. They, were, they knew all of the commandments. They memorized almost all of them by heart. And they did everything they could so that there was this outward obedience to God. But the problem was there wasn't a heartfelt love relationship with God. How do we surpass their righteousness? Not by doing more, but by loving more. By being in a relationship that calls for us to live in in, in intimacy with him. You see, why did God give the law? Why did he take the time to give this to us? It's so that you and I would understand something. That he so loved you. He so loved me. That he gave his only begotten son on the cross. And if we would truly believe in him, not just in our head, but with our heart that we would have everlasting life. That we would have a life with him where he is our father who loves us and cares for us and calls for us to live with him and for him. God gave us the word and God gave us his son because God loves us with all his heart. And and we enter this amazing righteous relationship when we say to God, I want it with you. I want you. I want your love. I want every part of it. I can tell you why I love God's word. And I'm not pretending I'm better than anyone else. As a matter of fact, I know better than most that I'm not. But you know why I love God? And why I love his word? Because he loves me and I love him so much. When I realize how much he loves me and how much he cares for me, this becomes an amazing treasure. Uh, Pam and I met when we were at students at Corona High School. One night after we had just known each other, maybe two or three weeks, I'm sitting in the house watching TV and there's a knock at the door and I open it and Pam goes, I got to go. I got to go. And she handed me this incredibly long note. She ran to her car and as she got into it and took off and she's waving and smiling, man, my heart is just beating and I just dig in. And I mean, it was like nine or 10 pages and, and I read every single word of it. I mean, I'm reading it and reading it. I'm almost memorizing it. I'm just so excited about it. I thought, oh my gosh, she likes me. I could tell she likes me. And part of the reason I could tell she likes me is because I got to the very end and she signed love Pam. And I'm like, oh, love Pam, you know, and, and I treasured that note forever. And when you love God, you treasure his word forever. Do you love him? Because he loves you with everything he has. He loves you so much that he moved heaven and earth to try to have a relationship with you. And right now the question is, are you in it? And if you're in that relationship, you not only love him, you would love this and want to just dig into it with everything you have. And is that who you are? If not, why don't you today make a decision to open your heart and open your life to God? The Bible does say that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And if anybody would open up to him, he would come in and he would dine with them. And which means he would have an intimate experience with you. He would come in a way that you would know him in an amazing way. And right now, whether you're sitting in the theater, you're online. It doesn't matter where you are. You might be watching this a year from now. But I can promise you the message never changes until heaven and earth passes away. God will always love you. 
And if today you do not know him in a very personal, real and intimate way, we want to invite you to do that. You might ask, how do I do it? Well, here's the answer. The Bible says, the Bible teaches that if you will call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. In other words, if you would pray to him, Jesus said, if you would open the door by saying, come in, you then will enter a salvation experience where you'll come to know God. And what we're going to do in a moment is I'm going to go to a time of prayer. And if you would like to say yes to God, or you'd like to come back to God and recommit your life to him, maybe at one time you were in love with him and you were living with him, but you need to come back. In a moment, when I leave that prayer, if you would like to do that, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting, right in this moment, if you would whisper these words with me and mean them. I'll pray a line and I'll let you think about it. And then I'm going to let you, you then just say it to God and let him then in that moment just start flooding into your life and loving you with everything he has. We start by doing that. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray right now that your Holy Spirit would touch anybody right now who just needs you. God, you know them, you love them, you care for them. And I pray there's a stirring in their heart and life. And God, they're ready to say yes. They're ready to come to you. They're ready to be yours. And so I pray you begin to touch them now. And I pray right now they would know that you care for them more than they can imagine. And Lord, I I just am praying right now. There's some people that just all of a sudden love is stirring in their heart for you. And that they want to say these words. If you're right with God, would you pray for anybody who needs to make this decision? But if you're ready to come to God or recommit, say this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. To heal me of my hurt. To free me of my fears. To make me alive. To make me new. To make me yours. And I say, yes. I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and to live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, we are so excited for you. And we're going to just celebrate like crazy with God in the love that he now has for you. But I want to tell you that that was step one. Step one was to pray that prayer and have a private moment with God. But according to the scripture, there's a step two. I talked about the tabernacle. And one of the designs of the tabernacle, one of the things God loves, is when anybody had a private encounter with God, they were to go there and announce what had happened. And they were to make an offering based on what had happened. And and make sure it was publicly known, the new relationship they had with the Lord. Today, in, in the New Testament church, what we do is we ask you to stand up and to actually make your way to an aisle and come forward. And standing up, you're saying, you know what? No more am I going to live the old way. I just experienced God. I just said yes to God. And by the way, here's what happens. The minute you stand up and you start to make your way to that aisle and come down, you're going to sense God connecting with you. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. You're going to sense the Lord saying, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. And that connection deepens in an amazing way. I know it might seem scary to do, but I'm going to ask you, 
In a moment, as the band comes, when we stand to sing, if you prayed that prayer, if you said yes to God, or by the way, if you want to be baptized into Christ, I'm going to ask when we do that, as soon as we stand, make your way to those aisles. Come down here. Head right over to the doorway. And, and, and know as you walk and you head this direction, we have some things we want to give you, but know as you walk and head that way that you know that you and God are connecting in an amazing way. So if you prayed that prayer and you meant it today, you, when we stand together, we're going to ask you to come. So let's stand right now. God touched, touched you. Please come.